Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pod save the king. Hello and welcome back to Pod Save the King. It's been quite a frantic week of royal news. I mean, I don't know how many times we've said that, uh, Russell Myers. It's your host, Anne Gripper, back once again to uh, navigate through, well, a varied week of um, of royal updates. Sad things, important political things, um, ongoing sort of wrangle things. Prince Harry's um, had the update on his security uh, court case, or the latest update, because he's planning to appeal it. William has continued his engagement with sort of the Israel-Gaza situation with a visit today. We've had Alina Zelenska visiting the Queen. I mean, Russell, it's a busy week. Hasn't it? Just good afternoon. Well, yeah, it's been a busy one. It's had a bit of everything, hasn't it? We've had sort of... uh... You know, memorial services, we've had meetings with politicians, and we've had uh, the, the First Lady of Ukraine over. Prince William, as you say, continuing his uh, his Middle East mission with a visit to a synagogue in London today. And, uh, and the sort of bombshell news that Harry has lost his court case against the British government. So where does that leave him? I imagine it isn't the end of this long-running saga, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about it for quite a while to come. So lots to look forward to in the show, but we're going to start with the, the latest news. So we're recording this at Thursday lunchtime and um, understandably the news of Prince William's visit to a synagogue was embargoed because of the, you know, the, the rise in anti-Semitism and, and challenges around synagogues and things that have been seen in the UK and, and in various other places as well, um, particularly since the uh, the incidents back in October and the aftermath of that with what's been happening in Gaza. But William, when we talked about his statement last week, um, and there was a poll that backed his intervening on it, our listeners largely backed him as well. We'll share some comments a bit later on. I mean, some people wanted him to go further in terms of denouncing anti-Semitism, and some people feeling it was a bit late to get involved and despairing a bit about whether anything would make a difference. But I mean, William, it's, it's clear he does want to make a difference and he's that's part of his reason for visiting a synagogue today. Well, it is. I mean, we, we know about his uh, his statement last week, he calling for immediate action uh, in the Israel-Gaza war, um, which incidentally, he was backed overwhelmingly, I think, after after his statement, which he uh, he said that too many had been killed in the conflict. He, like so many others, wanted to see an end to the fighting as soon as possible, stopping short of calling for a ceasefire. But I think you really are getting into the realms of political commentary once we once we start discussing that. Um, again, discussing the desperate 
uh, need for humanitarian support in Gaza and and definitely saying that it's critical that the hostages get released. Now, after he made that speech, which was, you know, I think, pretty bombastic for a future king to to make those um, that, that sort of statement, um, he was backed, I don't know if we covered this before, but backed overwhelmingly by Brits in a, in a YouGov poll who said that they, they really uh, appreciated the comments. They thought it was appropriate for him to make that. Um, yeah, I think, let me see, the, the 47% said it was appropriate rather than 24% who answered that it was inappropriate. And I think that you know, we often call on the, or, or questions, don't we, the, the, the role of the royal family and what they're there for. Um, certainly we've seen Prince William move into this greater statesman-like role over the last few years. And certainly his interest in Israel and the Middle East has been well documented since he went there in 2018. And then I mentioned this last time that I remember being there with his senior aides and them saying that this isn't just something, you know, we created a trip out of nothing. It's something that he has a deep interest in. He definitely wants to follow it through throughout his life, pretty much. I mean, such a huge, huge issue. He feels that though he can use his platform to make a difference. And um and it was it was no different with this uh with this trip to to um the West Mar Western Marble Arch synagogue in London today. And talking to not only sort of young ambassadors of the Holocaust Memorial Trust, but um, Holocaust survivors themselves. And I think that when you're discussing uh, such an issue as this on the backdrop of his statement and the and the ongoing conflict, it's um it's something that he should be applauded for. And I think that it's it's interesting to see that mo most people are backing him. Yeah, it was our question of the week last week, asking listeners what they thought of his intervention and um, some really interesting comments coming back. So thank you to everybody who did get in touch. Um, Gillian saying he was just stating hope for peace. Fine by me. It'll make no difference, though. Um, Emily Arwer saying he absolutely can make a difference and more people in his position should try. Kate says he is bringing attention to a crisis. Good on him for caring. Haters and naysayers, i.e. politicians, obviously aren't doing enough. Alison bit more sceptical. No, he seems lazy and surface level. Quite harsh, maybe. Uh, Kim Gosling says, Prince, brackets, King Charles, skated close to the line at times. Good on William for speaking up. Jane Breddon saying it was very balanced and reminded me of his compassionate mother. Jonathan Lansana says, totally appropriate. Some things are too important to worry about who you may upset. Full neutrality, not plausible in the 21st century. He also just reiterated the government line. Um, a really interesting message from Rolene, who says, hi, guys, excellent podcast. Always a great way to start a message. Thank you, Rolene. I wanted to comment about Prince William. Speaking as an Israeli citizen, his comments made front page news and were warmly welcomed. Yes, our policy is fighting stops when our hostages are released and Hamas surrenders, but we all want to see an end to it. We all want to see our neighbours get more aid. Contrary to what people think, Israelis are devastated to see the suffering. Prince William did something many have forgotten to do. He expressed empathy, empathy for both sides, did not tell either Israel what to do, and um, most important, called the release for the release of our hostages. He did not use the word ceasefire. We thought he is a mensch and more leaders should follow his example. So thanks, really, for getting in touch with your thoughts. And Emma says, on a slightly different angle, I'd like to know what is important to him, who he is, what kind of person he is or king he will be. In the same way, in the same way we know who the king is and what he thinks of certain issues, because he spoke out as Prince of Wales. William should do the same. This doesn't mean he has to do so once king. And let's be frank, we don't know who's, how soon that may happen now. So the more we hear his voice, the better, in my opinion. Um, Russell, what, you know, what do you think of William? What is his character and how is he building his role as Prince of Wales as he does 
you know, project into the future that he will one day become king. Well, I think at the um, the British Red Cross headquarters engagement that he did last week, he, he said it himself. He said he was distressed as a father. And I think that he is... A lot of the things that he and Catherine do are very, very centred to family life and how they make them feel. So, you know, kids' education or their development, the environment, climate change, what are what sort of world are they trying to shape, not only for their children, but for the next generation? And what sort of world do they want left behind? And that's something that the king has said time and time again. What world are we leaving for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren? We have to try and affect generational change. I think that when you bring that back to duty and what the role of senior members of the royal family should be, it is, as I, and I do agree with Prince William, it isn't just turning up to do the, the sort of the handshaking and the opening of the hospital ward, although that is very important and that is an integral role, I have always argued, of you know, members of the royal family. But there are huge, huge issues that they are trying to tackle. And certainly the king has, um, has done that with climate change. You're looking at what Camilla has been doing in the domestic violence field. You know, these are conversations which weren't happening, you know, we could say decades ago, but certainly a member of the royal family speaking about domestic violence wasn't happening really until Camilla broached it. And so to make the big changes, I think you need to try and put your neck out a little bit. And so William is not afraid of doing that. He's entering, you know, the tinderbox that is the Middle East. And he's very knowledgeable. He's got the good people behind him. They brought David Hunt in, who's a very, very senior diplomat, works in the Foreign Office for years. He's being able to advise him on these matters. So he's not walking into it blind. And I think that um, you know, bringing you back to the story that I had many years ago, that has rung true uh, hugely over the last couple of uh, weeks about William sees this as, in quotes, a life's mission, a life's work. And it's something that he feels he will be able to um, to to use his profile for good. So good on him. I mean, if he was standing back, like a lot of celebrities have been criticised in uh, in recent months for not saying anything, then surely he would be open to criticism. So he's going to get criticised in uh, in all quarters, whatever he does, isn't he? I do feel for him in that sense. But I think, um, yeah, yeah, good on him for for making a stand. I think it's interesting that point about you know how how possible is it not to have opinions in the twenty first century when everybody has always got a hot take on. Twitter, this is not a helpful place to have a hot take. Um, so the measured approach that William is taking seems to be a good thing. And you, I mean, you talk about him being, talking about things through emotions and how it makes him feel. Do you, do you think that's a sort of a generational difference between him and Charles or a, a personal difference? You know, William and Catherine and talking about feelings and emotions and, and mental health and, you know, our generation being a bit more touchy-feely and more willing to, I don't know, cry in public or whatever it happens to be. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly um, uh, opens up the appeal of the uh, royal family to a younger generation, doesn't it? Being able to talk about your feelings, being able to talk about the, the, the major issues that are happening in the world that I think are, are affect a lot of young people, whether that is war. I mean, all these have knock-on effects of people's day-to-day -day life, don't, don't they? Where it's war or mental health that kicks on to your standard of living, how your family um maybe uh you know, suffering whether you've got family abroad or here it's, it, there are such a multitude of issues that i think come into the the way that we feel about them and and, and, and certainly william and kate have have tried to convey that in a fashion that brings people with them on the journey so whether it is climate change so do you feel that you 
are affected by these issues well this is how you can get involved and we should be having those conversations we should be able to like he said today speak out against the rise of anti-semitism and by just him saying it that may trans um transform into other people thinking well is there is there a rise i hadn't realized there was a rise well if they're addressing it then maybe i should look into it further and maybe if i do see racism anti-semitism bullying people effective other mental health then i should try and make a stand and, and and do something about it and obviously william is back at work today he was due to be attending a memorial service earlier in the week and then pulled out at, at relatively short notice due to a personal matter um and we understand you know there was also a sort of an update issued by the the palace that Kate's progress continues well i.e it's nothing related to any issue with with Kate and then obviously there was also the sad news later in the day of the death of um Thomas Kingston the the husband of um Lady Gabriella I mean I, I remember covering their wedding I was working that weekend shift and beautiful pictures you know everyone loves any wedding but a royal related wedding as well you know it was a, a happy day and a lovely time and such sort of sad and shocking news and only you know, only 45, but it isn't thought that Prince William's absence was related to that either. So, No, I decided to just clear up a few things because it was very, very muddled on that day. First of all, we had uh, very short notice that Prince William was pulling out of the memorial service for King Constantine, the late King of Greece. Also, his godfather, uh, William, was due to be doing a reading at St George's Chapel. So, you know, the fact that that um, the palace said personal reasons, they don't often say that, you know, if he was feeling unwell, I think they possibly would have said. Now, th- let me clear this issue up, because whilst they didn't go into further confirmation or clarification, whether it was to do with the Princess of Wales, they did, as a sort of side note, say she continues to be doing well. So whilst we don't specifically know whether his absence was due to Kate having to go to a hospital appointment, whether she wasn't feeling well, I mean, gosh, those of us who've got children know that most kids are pretty sick at the moment. It could have been one of his kids was ill. He had to take some time off. The nanny wasn't available. Maybe she was. Ill. I mean, it could have been a, you know, a multitude of reasons. So the very fact that they said personal reasons, it doesn't stop the rumour mill from exploding. And we've seen this recently with the sort of chatter on social media about where is Kate? What is wrong with her? We haven't seen her for so long. I mean, that has gone into absolute overdrive. And I think that, you know, William and Kate, we talk about them being public figures. We talk about them potentially doing more or what they're doing with certain issues. And they are afforded or should be afforded a right to privacy at certain um, junctures. And and I think we should all recognise that. And that definitely goes for Prince William uh, saying he had personal reasons. Like I just said, it could have been one of his children that they don't want to get into. And certainly the Princess Wales, um, deserves the right to have her privacy respected after undergoing medical treatment. I don't think the palace would have given or would have wanted to give an update. They certainly haven't said, uh, or they've said that they don't want to get involved in a running commentary, but that was caught kind of, I think they probably thought people would start wondering whether um, it was to do with Kate. So by not saying it is or it isn't, but by saying that she's still doing well, it kind of, you know, sort of, moves it on a little bit or just enough so um but listen he's back at work today he's due at an engagement on friday as well which will be very interesting which is embargo so i can't tell you about it but there is uh there's certainly um a lot in his diary over the next uh, few weeks 
Yeah, certainly. There's, uh, there's definitely kind of an appetite from royal fans that difficult to know whether they just miss Kate or whether actually it's worrying them. I don't know. So there was a message from a, a listener. Hello from Mississippi. I haven't messaged in a minute, but wanted to inquire, like so many others, I'm sure, as to why you will think the Princess of Wales hasn't released a single pic, personal statement or any update of her own. I believe KP did right after she left hospital, but it's been almost two months. Two months! This is the same person who, after pushing out each baby, was standing outside the Lido wing for a photo shoot made up to the hilt. And we all know what one feels like six to 12 hours after birth. I mean, Russell, you probably don't know what quite what it feels like, although you have the you have the dad's perspective, clearly. Um, not, exactly. asking for, not asking for gossip or speculation of her surgery, but more interested in how the palace is handling this, I'd say rather poorly. I don't know. I, it, like you say, it, it's difficult to get that balance because there's kind of nothing to update on. And um, we don't we don't know what the issue is. They don't want us to know what the issue is. And it is her per personal private health matter, which is a, a, an area which, however public a figure you are, come does come still with with protection. Unless to a certain extent, you're the president of the United States where they have their annual medical checks and that will get published in, in some way, shape or form. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I think people do miss her. I miss her. I miss having Kate to talk about, and um, and I hope she's I hope she's getting on well with her recovery. And I'm I'm really looking forward to when she is well enough to be back up and out and about. But I think, you know, to your point, they don't want to do the the running commentary. And as soon as you do one thing, and it goes back a bit to when we were talking about um, Camilla's diary not necessarily being confirmed, and the the panic that then comes if she pulls out or something. Whereas it better be just to pop up if you start doing something then there becomes an appetite for it and if you don't do it then the people people freak out about it so um everybody on twitter and everybody else calm down be patient it's the it's the things about the rolling news cycle probably if it was the if it was the olden times and uh, they were setting sail to get down to australia for royal tour they probably wouldn't even still have got there yet or something so we'd still be we just operate at a different pace these days Sticking with the international relations theme, Russell, um, a nice meeting today between the Queen, Camilla, and the First Lady of Ukraine, as you mentioned. And I mean, the royal family have been really involved on an ongoing basis and regularly sort of sharing messages of support or doing visits to things with troops, sometimes getting, you know, getting their camouflage and all of that kind of thing. Charles sent a very, you know, sort of quite long and Charles R signed off message last week on the anniversary of the invasion um you know as it's sort of one of his key interventions from his from his recuperation but a nice meeting today yes it was i mean we didn't know about it um ahead of schedule but such is the nature of these sort of closely guarded engagements and um the queen was meeting the first lady of ukraine olena zelenska um this took place at clarence house there wasn't any journalists involved but we did see some pictures but I've spoken to someone at the palace and said you know what was what was the sort of flavor of the conversation and um certainly do know that um uh Mrs. Zelenska thanked the king on well on um thank the king for his for his message of support to Ukraine on the second anniversary of the conflict which has you know gone incredibly quickly and was sort of uh marked across the board really i think in in a in a in a level of sort of distress more than hope the fact that it's still ongoing and it was interesting that the the queen i was told shared um i have the uk is is all thinking of ukraine on that sort of unfortunate 
a pretty grim milestone, right? So um, they both spoke about the the uh, attendance of Miss Zelenska at um, the late Queen's funeral and the coronation. And they discussed the impact that the conflict is having on women and children in Ukraine and talking about the, those physical, mental scars that they're enduring and um, and how possibly the UK can, can assist them. It's interesting that Mrs. Zelenska went to Downing Street to meet... Um, uh, Ashka to Murphy as well and I think Murphy rather I think that that's interesting show of support not only for the royal family but but the government which is um it's a it's a pretty interesting time for Ukraine because of what's happening in the states and and whether they're going to get a new president in a few months and whether that level of support will um will be pulled from under them but I'm, I'm sure they're all hoping and waiting um patiently to see what happens. It was pretty powerful words from the king last week. There's his true valour in the face of indescribable aggression. Um, and I guess it's sort of saying keep on UK politics um, supporting them. I continue to be greatly encouraged that the United Kingdom and our allies remain at the forefront of international efforts to support Ukraine at this time of such great suffering and need. My heart goes out to all those effective affected as I remember them in my thoughts and prayers because I had been thinking originally when I saw the pictures oh you know it's, it's a shame Charles would surely have wanted to meet Mrs Zelenska because the Ukraine is such a big thing and he's, he's put this statement out but obviously he you know sort of retires to the countryside for the weekend after he's had his cancer treatment to you know enjoy the the fresh air and seclusion and, and peace and quiet rather than the hustle and bustle of of central London but then actually this is the meeting of you know the two wives, if you like, and actually it's quite it's quite natural for him not to be there. So you're talking about her meeting Mrs. Sunak, Ashkata Murthy, Murthy, um at Downing Street. It's the same the same vibe. I don't know, what do you think? Would would Charles yeah, have no. met her otherwise? Um he may have done because I think that she wanted to thank him for his message and of of continued support uh, marking that milestone. However, I do think that's a um a really interesting dynamic of getting Mrs. Zelenska in a room with Camilla and um, and Mrs. Murty because I think uh, or Mrs. Sunak she is, and so you you have a different set of um, scenarios that that you have the King obviously not here at the moment. I'm sure Rishi Sunak's got an awful lot um, to do with the the, the government's support. Uh, continue support with Ukraine and so um, by by the two women meeting it gives a, a, a different dynamic and I think that that's quite welcome and it was it was not long after we recorded last week we uh, the king met the prime minister and there's a nice video coming out and uh, Charles being up to a little joke about how well, he's looking quite so well because of the mirrors and um, all, all, all mirrors and, uh, and talking about the cards and the message that he sent bringing him to tears and then the Prime Minister somewhat awkwardly keeping repeatedly saying, you know, it's good to it's good to see you doing so well and not feeling he did, he came across as slightly less comfortable with the whole uh, exchange and just kept kept saying the same thing. Um, and then lovely pictures and video that came out a bit later, a couple of days later of the King's mailbag, essentially. I mean, you've got to, you've got to love King Charles. At, at least you don't have to wear a cone with a picture of the dog recovering <laughs> from whatever, whatever treatment he'd, he'd had. But it's, a, I don't know, nice and, I don't know, uplifting and hopeful. And it, it, it's, a, I mean, it's a lot of mail for the, uh, the ha royal household to be dealing with, but that's something that they're pretty well used to, I guess. Yeah, I mean, again, 
you're talking about the, the king has gone in a very very different way to the princess of wales hasn't he i mean he's been giving regular updates we've had messages we've seen him driving or being driven in the state bentley because it's got the windows waving to the crowds then taking part in a video i mean he obviously feels well enough in himself to do those sorts of things and meeting the prime minister he did meet him yesterday um but it wasn't there wasn't journalists present it was a private audience and I think that that's something that he is carrying on from his mother's mantra, right? Being seen to be believed. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we should respect Kate wanting to guard her privacy. It's a private medical matter. And she's obviously had a lot to deal with major surgery and um, and taking that period of time to to rest and recuperate. I, it, it, again, even by saying that, it's unfortunate that they've kind of put a date on it because by by saying she's going to be back by Easter, I mean, if she if she needs a couple more weeks or um, she's not back, I think they've said after Easter, so she's not pictured with the royal family walking to church during Easter services. But if she isn't back soon enough after that, then you know, the, the rumour mill will start again, won't it? And I'm sure they, they, they are quite conscious of that. And in the meantime, the Queen obviously continues to to lead the line at the memorial service the other day. And the, the, I mean, the 500 words uh, award ceremony and things, that looked like a, a really fun event last night. Yes, yeah, certainly. And it, it's interesting that Camilla is doing such an array of jobs at the moment. No, no, I mean, she's front and centre um, of the royal family. She's the most senior royal working at the moment, she's the one definitely holding the fort. I mean, William pulling out of this engagement or this uh, memorial service the other day, being absent for a couple of weeks while Kate was in and out of hospital. It doesn't it doesn't sort of help the sort of continuity that is needed at the moment, I think, with Kate and the king being off. But by um by doing those sort of stalwart events that she's had such an uh, association with for, for many, many years, um, is is keeping the royal train on the track, so to speak. One bit of unwanted continuity. Prince Andrew, he still likes the limelight, doesn't he? Well, he does. I mean, gosh, if night as soon as night follows day, you could have bet your house on Prince Andrew putting himself at the front of uh, proceedings. And what I found pretty unsavoury, now this was uh, King Constantine's rem- uh, memorial, and he was leading the royal family walking down the, the track to uh, St George's Tapel. But, you know, they, it was for a memorial service. There's uh, members of the royal families throughout Europe and beyond who had flown in for this. It was a pretty big deal. And he's sort of grinning like a Cheshire cat, putting himself to the front of the queue. I just found that a little bit unsavoury. And, and also with the backdrop of you know, Thomas Kingston had passed away by this point. He, you know, he was found dead on Sunday. The royal family would have known all about this. Prince, uh, Prince and Princess Michael of Kent how, were attending the uh the memorial service despite it being their son-in-law and i just think you know there was a distinct lack of class more than anything and interestingly that we'd spoken to some of jeffrey epstein's victims to say you know what were your views on this and they just said he just still doesn't get it and that comes through time and time and time again that he doesn't understand that his presence at these events and let's you know still say He's denied all wrongdoing and he is um, he is permitted to be at these events. It's classed as a, a family service. It's much like him going to church with the royal family on Christmas Day. It wasn't a state occasion or a, a proper royal engagement. 
and yet he he doesn't realize that his present is presence is going to be hugely controversial at these moments and i think if he had an ounce of self-awareness he would have done discretion not the word that is most associated no. with him yeah no. um to our transatlantic branch of the royal family um and prince harry we've had a couple of video um sort of appearances from him at a couple of different awards this week but the, the main thing has been the well, not culmination as it transpires, but the latest stage of his fight to get security in the UK and um, sort of the review of the decision to downgrade the security that he gets. Talk us, talk us through the decision, what happened, what happens next, and I guess some of the things that we learned because there was a lot of, you know, evidence and documentation and paperwork submitted to try and convince the the courts of his case, essentially. Well, it, it's it, you know, it is a bit of blow, bit of blow for for Harry because um, I don't think it's the end of this saga. I mean, it's had more twists and turns than an episode of Succession, isn't it? But the issue for Harry is whether he does go to the Court of Appeal now, which we understand that he absolutely will do. But it's already cost the British taxpayer a million pounds there or thereabouts. One would imagine his legal bills are absolutely huge as well. He's not afraid of the litigation. We know that. But when you look at the detail, as I have, you know for more time than I care to even think about now. But you, you just need to look at the, the instances where Harry has come back recently. The Queen's Platinum, late Queen's Platinum Jubilee, the, where Harry and the kids came as well. Incidentally, the last time, or first and last time, uh, King Charles was able to meet his granddaughter, which is very, very sad. Um, the fact that Harry came over for the King's coronation, he came over a couple of weeks ago to see his father after his cancer diagnosis. At each of those moment harry was afforded the taxpayer funded protection that he so desperately craves what ravik the um the body under the ho- uh, under the jurisdiction of the home office is asking for is 28 days notice so you can't get on a plane and come over for a jolly because you are not a working royal you should be able to afford your own security you've made enough money not that this is the discussion in the courts but the courts are saying that They've upheld the decision because Harry is not only not part of the royal family now, but he will be afforded that protection if he gives due notice or he is attending a state occasion or he's coming to see his father, the king, or other members of the royal family. So I don't really see why he is challenging this so much because the the reality is he's not really going to come to the UK very often. Um, he might want to, but why should the British taxpayer pick up the cost when he's already um, earning an absolute fortune? And if he is going to come and be part of those uh, family events, then he's going to get it anyway. So it does seem a fight that he is uh, he's digging his heels in, and um, you know could, you could argue that it's quite he's quite petulant and he's not going to let he's not going to let it go. So if he knew that in six months' time he was going to be coming over to visit Birmingham to check out Birmingham for the Invictus Games, he could have security if he gave them notice. Well, the issue the, the issue is he's going to give them notice. They will assess the threat that is um, prevalent at the time. And he is arguing that his private security needs to have access to that kind of information that the, uh, the Metropolitan Police or other security agencies have to assess threats to him. Now... I don't believe for a second that, well, that one shouldn't necessarily happen because you can't have, let's say, celebrities like Taylor Swift, Elton John, 
accessing those sorts of databases that are paid for by the British taxpayer. Harry should have his own security firms. Private security companies can assess these threats um, every every day and every moment if they wanted to. So the issue is if he and he does know he's going to come back to the UK. He's already said it to the Good Morning America uh, reporter Will Reeve just a couple of weeks ago last week saying that I've got trips to the UK planned, whether I'm coming back or I'm flying through to go to another place. So he knows his schedule. I mean, the, the royal family work a six-month schedule pretty much. So well, barring, barring, you know, the uh, I think sort of a whistle-stop tours coming over to see his father after cancer diagnosis, something like that, he does know his schedule. So, again, is this being petulant? Is he fighting for his family's rights? Does he want to bring his wife and children over to uh, to spend some time with the royal family. Only Harry will know that. But I think it is it's all it's all getting very convoluted, and I can't see how he would even win this case at the court of appeal. Imagine partly we're down into like it's the principle of the matter. I'm going to keep fighting this and just keep on going. But there were, I mean, there's some interesting things coming out, and I think there was one assessment about you know whether he was more at risk than Princess Diana. And then there was also discussion of the car chase in New York, which, you know, there was some debate about like how, at the time about how serious that had been. And now the sort of suggestions that there's motivation for arresting a couple of, or potentially bringing charges against a couple of people. So are there there's a, sort of that level of, I don't know, what's the word? Threat, well, threat or risk, I guess. It is, yeah. detail that's come out in that. Well, certainly. I mean, the the it was widely criticised, weren't they, for going on record, their spokesman, and saying that they were involved in a high-speed chase across New York. I mean, everyone who's ever been there or seen any image of New York, you could know that that pretty is unlikely. However, the um, the investigators have said that there was enough evidence to have arrested two people for this sort of harassing behaviour. So Harry does have a point, but I think that whether this has a chance at the Court of Appeal, we'll, we'll see. But you've had you know, the High Court now say that they've upheld the original decision and it's hard to see where, where he goes from here. Again, the flip side is he's making an awful lot of money in his private ventures. You know, they can afford to spend two million a year on security or however much the estimates have been made at. So you know, is there a lot of sympathy while people are struggling to, uh, to make ends meet at the moment with Harry? I'm not so sure. So I think one thing that people have been talking about this week is uh, the royals who are working royals but don't get security or, the you know, the royals who are over here who don't get security um, or certainly not the sort of the higher level. But part of the argument, I think, from Harry is that because he is in a in a relationship with a with a mixed race woman and because his children are mixed race, that there is a that there is a greater threat to them because of because of that. And sadly, and there is an argument around that potentially. Well, certainly. I mean, it, it it does get very fractured, this argument. And I'm sure that Harry is, feels very, very aggrieved that his, uh, that his case has been thrown out. Um, but there are other avenues that he can pursue. I mean, we have seen him. He has been the subject, both him and his wife, of Twitter trolls. There have been members of far-right... Um, I say communities there, but they're not communities. They're certainly just lunatics and potential terrorists who are threatening their very way of life. And I think that that, that weighs heavy on Harry, and you can totally understand that. But I think there does need to be some accountability by saying, listen, you've made your decision. You have to try and stand on your own two feet in that sense. And, and it still comes back to the point that if he does come to the UK and he is seeing his family, 
they're not going to just leave him out in the cold. So I think that that's what's that that's the central point for me. So question of the week, listeners. I mean, obviously, if you, should you be a police uh, person or other security person who has added insight, then do let us know. But listeners, generally, you're welcome to have your um, tuppence worth on this. You know, how how do you think Harry and the royal family, I guess, to a certain extent, and the police force as well, or the police service, how should they resolve this security question? So that well, it does feel like one of the barriers to Harry feeling, I don't know, confident or able or... Uh, in the right to be able to come back to the UK a little bit more often. Right, Russell, I barely dare even ask you this. What's coming up in the next week? Well, um, there's not a lot that we could talk about, to be honest. So there is a, there is a couple of things next week will be very interesting. Um, of course, we've, we've seen the king sporadically at the moment. Camilla, is, Camilla and Princess Anne are definitely leading the fall. Worth mentioning, actually, Camilla, um, well, sorry, Princess Anne met up with Rob Burrow, the former rugby league legend and uh, inspirational MND campaigner. That was part of her role as patron of the Motor Neuron Disease Association. And we'd seen uh, Prince William meet Rob Burrow and Kevin Sinfeld recently presenting them with their CVEs at uh, at Headingley, the home of Leeds Rhinos. And it was Anne's turn yesterday. And again, you know, shining a, a spotlight on their incredible campaigning efforts. I think they've raised... More than um, 15 million at the moment, and, and sort of increasing with their unbelievably unbelievable feats of uh, of endurance. And so uh, we we congratulate them too as well. Well, Russell, it's been lovely to catch up with you as ever, and uh, we'll be back next week, listeners. You can get in touch with us on particularly on Instagram at Podsave. If you're on the Twitter X thing, then get in touch with Russell over there at RJ Myers and follow all of his brilliant royal coverage. Make sure you're signed up for the newsletter as well. Head over to the Mirror website and you can find how to sign up to all of our newsletters, but particularly the royal one may be of interest to you. And until next time. Pod save the king!